chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to uh, begin in verse 17 today. Uh, I think this is about 12th or 13th message in Philippians, and this is uh, in our continuing series of Joy Unspeakable. And so we've just got a chapter to go, maybe two, two or three more messages, and we'll be through Philippians. But I, I, how many of you, by, by a show of hands, you've been blessed by this series, series so far? This has been a very fruitful series, I feel like. I've had several people have commented to me about the joy that the Lord has, has just brought back into their heart. Maybe there's been a, a time, a struggle, but, but right now the Lord is just through this. It revealed some things. And man, getting our focus back on Jesus, when we keep our focus on Him, and we, sometimes we think, man, I'm really focusing on Him, but it's easy to get off and get miscalibrated a little bit. We've got to get our eyes back on Him. So when we talk about Philippians, we often talk about this being the joy book. And it is in the sense that joy is spoke of often, but the reason is because of where Paul's eyes are, where his focus is, and we've seen that already. Um, we saw in chapter 1, having the single mind. It's the mind that is set on Christ. Then we got to chapter 2, and we saw the submissive mind. It's the humble mind. That's the mind of Christ. It's having his thoughts and thinking the way he does. Well, we've come to chapter 3, and, and already what we've seen here is, is the spiritual mind. That's what Paul's talking about here. And Paul told us who he, who he was uh, in his past, that he told of his righteousness from works. And it's what he shared with us, who he was and how he was working for his righteousness. It was a works righteousness. And then he told us of his miraculous salvation through faith in Christ Jesus and how, who he was then. He had made the Lord his Savior, and, and, he, and he speaks of his new righteousness, this faith righteousness. It's, it's righteousness that can only come by faith, and that is it's Christ's righteousness. It's not Paul's righteousness. It's not mine or your righteousness. It's not the things that we do. There's no righteousness within us, and there's nothing we can do in order to become righteous. But we can think that we're doing good, and we have these works righteous, and we have this works righteousness, but it cannot make us right with God. So it is this faith righteousness that only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul shared that with us. He talks about that. And I'd ask this morning, where's your righteousness from? Is your righteousness, you know, is it your righteousness? Is it from you? Is it, is it from your works? And I'm not, I'm, this is not, it's kind of, it's not a rhetorical. I mean, I, I'm wanting you to think about that. Where am today, where am, where am I, where's my righteousness from? How do I claim righteousness? And so is it in us? Is it in our works? Is it, or is it from Christ? Because if it's anywhere but Christ, then it's not, it's not righteousness that, that can get us and allow us to stand in God's presence. So Paul told us, he, he, he told us who he w uh, was in the past, and he told us who he is in the present. He says, I've not arrived, but I keep pressing on. He wanted, here's what Paul wanted. He wanted everything God had for him. He said, I want to put my hands on everything God has put his hands on me for. I mean, that's basically what he said. I, God has got his hands on me. He saved me, and I, I want what God wants for me. I want all of it. Amen? You ever feel like that? You ever, you ever, you ever, anybody ever, have your wives ever make a cake? Yeah? Anybody's wives ever make a cake? Husbands, you ever got the bowl? What do you do with the bowl? You get in there with a spoon first, right? You're cleaning out the bowl. But then what do you do? If it's good cake mix, you, what do you do? What do you do next? You lick the, you get in there with your finger, right? You, man, you get your finger, you want to get everything out of that that you can. That's what Paul says. He says, I want everything out of this life in, in Christ. I want everything that I can get out of it. I want everything he saved me for. I want it all. And that ought to be our attitude. 
And then, and then we come to the part of the passage this morning, and, and he tells us to focus on heaven. And that's what we're going to look at. It's a focus. And the title of the message this morning is this, Living in the Future Tense. Paul's talked about past tense, who he was. He, he shared with us his present tense, what he's doing right now. But all of that is because his vision, his focus is future tense. It's, and he's living in the future tense. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's read verses 17 through 21. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also earnest or eagerly wait for the Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ." who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Let's, uh, let's go again to the, to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, I, I thank you for this morning and this opportunity again to open your word. I pray right now you would just give me uh, focus. You know, the, you know the struggles, Lord, and you know what's going on. And I pray that you'll help me just to focus and... Uh, Give me absolute clarity in my thoughts and allow me to communicate this message, Lord, according to your will. Lord, just guide my thoughts, guide my speech, and use this. Prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God humbly and then, Lord, to respond to it obediently. Lord, have your will and way now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so if we're going to live in the future tense, here's what Paul's telling us. First thing is this. To live in the future tense, we've got to follow the right examples. Look again at verse 17. He said, brethren, join... Uh, brethren, join in following my example. Follow my example. Paul says in other scriptures, he says, imitate me. Live like I, watch me, imitate me. Paul's not saying, you know, believe on me as your savior. I'm not, the, but he's saying, look, you, you know Christ, but you can look to me as an example of how to live your life, how to walk out your faith, which he's already shared. But he says, join in following my example. I'm leaving an example for you to how to live this Christian life. And note those who so walk, others who walk this way. Mind them, and you have us for a pattern. So, so Paul wasn't being arrogant. I remember as a, a young Christian reading Paul's writings, and as a young Christian, I remember thinking, Paul, man, he's kind of arrogant. He's kind of full of himself. Man, when you really get to know Paul and you study and, and, and you, you learn his writing, you, you know that's just the opposite. Anytime Paul shares about himself, he's not doing it arrogantly. But you also have to remember who's writing this. Paul's pinning it, but who's writing it? The Holy Spirit's writing this. So the Holy Spirit's the one who says these things. The Holy Spirit says, you follow Paul, people. You follow him. He's an example that I've given you of this Christian life. And there's others that you can follow. So the Holy Spirit had no better earthly example to set before us than that of Paul. Of course, excluding Christ. But Paul was with them then. On a purely human level, Paul was the ideal missionary. He was the ideal soul winner, the ideal pastor, the ideal Bible teacher. He was the ideal practitioner of the Christian faith. He was living it out. So in addition to Paul, there are other faithful brethren from the past and the present that we can learn from as examples in, the, in our Christian life. So we look to Paul. We look to, to others. There are, we, could, we could go around the room and there are people you could name who've influenced your life. And we look to them. And we should, we should thank God for every man and woman and boy and girl and theologian and writer and pastor and teacher or worship leader who inspires us to be more like Christ. Amen? 
We've got those people. Maybe it's just a Sunday school teacher that you had. Maybe it's just someone in the church who every time they saw you came up and talked to you and encouraged you in the Lord. Man, those people inspire us to be more like Christ, more sincere, more earnest, and more commitment. We ought to praise God for that. So we've got to look to the right examples. If you want to look to the future in the right way, you've got to look to the right examples today to help us to look that way. Amen? Second thing is this, to, to live in the future tense, we've got to beware of false brethren. Verses 18 and 19. For, we, for, for many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul again warns uh, of those who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He, he had battled the legalistic Judaizers who claimed to know Christ and His gospel, yet proved their profession false by teaching that a person must become a Jew and they must practice as a Jew in order to become a Christian. Now that's legalism, folks. When you're putting something on, on the gospel... Believing the gospel, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and believing the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that encapsulates a lot, okay? But it is believing that. It's not a certain way that we live before that. It's not a certain way that we live afterwards that, that is required in order to, to do that. So they would have said, those Judaizers would have said you have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. Some may tell you, hey, if you want to become a Christian, you know what? You got, you got to go out and get a suit. You got to wear a suit. You got to get your hair cut. You got to do this or that. You know, it's not about the outward things. It's about what God does in the heart. You know what? He'll change the outward. He'll change the outward. You ain't getting righteous by changing the outward. Righteousness within you will change the outward. It'll change the way you think and walk and talk. And all those things, they'll change because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. Amen? And that's how that'll work. Um, so be careful. I was sharing in class this morning. Be careful. We talk a lot, and people want to talk about legalism. And I, I've said this before, but legal, this, is, this is liberalism and legalism defined by each one of us individually. So here I am. Anybody who's more conservative than I am, they're legalistic. And anybody who's less, less conservative than me, well, they're liberals. They've gotten off track. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful with what you call legalistic. You know, some people have different standards. Standards are great. Standards are, are wonderful. You should, there should be some standards, okay? But if you start tying those standards to salvation, now we have legalism. That's what, that's what they were doing. You've got to do these things here before you can become a Christian. That wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't right. And so um, Paul says, be careful with them. Keep your eyes on them and, and beware of them, and, and so don't follow them. Um, so we have our false brethren today, Amen. Well, they're false brethren today. Titus uh, 16, verse 16 there says, uh, Titus 1, 16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. We got a lot of that today. Now, there's always been a lot of that, but, but it's, it's, that's one of those things that just exponentially has grown. We see these folks who say they know God, profess to know God, but they deny Him with their works, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Now, here's what's amazing right here we see in these verses. We, we really see Paul's heart. We're going to see his heart right here. And, and it's going to help you understand. When Paul talks about having a, having a, uh, a future, living in the future tense, here, here's where you can see it. Paul wept over those who were the enemies of the gospel. He wept over them. Okay? What an example of the mind of Christ. You know, Christ loved those folks. He wanted them to get right with him. He wanted them to be saved. 
It's what an example of the mind of Christ here. Paul wept. He shed tears for the enemies of the cross as much as he wept over the damage they, they did to those who fell under their influence. The cross offers a remedy for those who are enemies of Christ, but those who are enemies of the cross of Christ oppose the very means of the salvation that Christ secured for us at infinite cost. They're opposing the very thing that can give them life eternal. They oppose it. They're fighting Christ. Now picture this in your mind. See it, see it in color. Read this, you know, when you think about this of Paul weeping. Paul's there in a jail cell in Rome, and he's chained to this guard. And, and we know that many of the guards actually came to faith because of, you, when you're chained to Paul, I mean, you're either going to want to get out of there or you're going to get right. One or the other is going to happen. But they're chained to Paul, and, and he's looking in Paul's eyes. And as Paul's writing this, tears begin to roll down his eyes because Paul's sitting there, he's writing this, and he's thinking about those, those, those Judaizers, those enemies of the gospel, of the cross, and yet Paul's weeping for them. And, and, and the man doesn't know, the, prisoner, the, the guard doesn't know who, what he's writing about, but Paul, he's thinking about them, and he's weeping for them. And so the jailer, as he sees those tears running down Paul's cheeks, he says this. He says, cheer up, sir. Things aren't all that bad. After all, you're a Roman citizen. One of these days you'll be free. They they don't crucify Romans, at least not here in Rome they don't. Paul blinks away the tears and he smiles at the guy and he looks at the jailer and he says, you misunderstand. It's not for myself. I weep. Ah, the soldier says. Then it's for your family or your wife or your kids or your friends. I hope that, that they're all right. You'll be free again soon and back with them. Mark my words. Cheer up. Everything's going to be all right. And Paul says, I'm not weeping for my family or my friends. I'm weeping for my foes. Well, sir, they'll get their due one of these days. You wait and see. And I hope they get a good uh, taste of the lash. Innocent you are. We all know that. Paul says, you misunderstand, my friend. I'm not weeping out of resentment. And I, I am not weeping because of them. I'm weeping for them. That's the, that's the heart of Paul. So that's the heart of Paul. Look at verse 19, and we'll understand why he wept. Verse 19, he said, whose end is destruction. Whose end is destruction. Paul wept because he knew the future of these men, whose end is destruction. That word destruction is sometimes translated perdition, and it carries the idea of waste and lostness. Jesus used this word when he referred to Judas as the son of perdition. Matthew 7, 13, and there the Lord says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Paul knew that these, these folks, they were lost, and they were on their way to a Christless hell. In spite of all the damage that they had done to him and his churches, he wept for them. The thought of where these men would spend eternity broke his heart. Man, what a view right there to the heart of, of Paul. Paul had the mind of Christ, and therefore he had the heart of Christ. And we see his compassion. And I ask you this morning, does it, does it break our heart? Does it break your heart that there are lost people all around us? I mean, you don't have to shake your head. You don't have to say a word. But I want you to think about that. Does it really break your heart? that, Folks, there are lost people in our midst this morning. There are people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior this morning. And it ought to break our hearts. It really should. Paul wept over his enemies. But my question is, do we even weep over those we love? Verse 19 continues. And we see here that the Judaizers, they were ruled by, their, by the sensual. They were ruled by the sensual. The verse says, whose God is their belly. 
It was about themselves. It was about satisfying their, their desires and wants and lust. They were, they, were, they, were, um, they were ruled by the shameful. And the verse says, and whose glory is in their shame. They gloried in, in the... In the uh, uh, it's one of those moments. Oh, man. Um, why can I not think of that word? So it's circumcision. They gloried in their circumcision. And it was something that, at that point, they should have had shame in. Uh, but they gloried in that. And then in the secular, they gloried in the secular, who, who set their mind on earthly things. They were focused on things of the earth. They didn't have the spiritual mind. And Paul was burdened by that. His heart was broken by that. The third thing we see here is if you're going to live in the future tense, if you're living in the future tense, then you have to understand our citizenship. Paul tells us we've got to understand our citizenship. Verse 20, first part of verse 20 here. For our citizenship is in heaven. Where's your citizenship? It's in heaven. So the, listen, the, the, the citizens of Philippi were privileged to be Roman citizens away from Rome. So there, they were, that was a Roman province, so they were, that was a part of Rome. So when, when they were born there, they were Roman citizens. So when a baby was born in Philippi, it was important that his name be registered on the legal records. So an example of that, just this past week, Watson was born. You'll meet him maybe next Sunday. I did get a text from them. They were planning to come and just some things hindered them. But they'll be, they'll be here Wednesday night. They'll be here Sunday. And you'll get to meet Watson. But Watson was born on Tuesday. And so what will happen is Watson will be issued this birth certificate that says when he was born, where he was born, what time he was born. All that kind of information will be there. But what it does is he, he, with that, he is, he is granted citizenship as an American because he's born here in America. He's born into being an American, right? He's born into that. So he gets his birth certificate. He's a citizen of the United States now. So citizenship is important. When you travel to another country, it is essential that you have a passport that proves your, uh, your citizenship. Now, that is unless you're coming to America and you're not a citizen of the United States. If you are a citizen, you've got to prove it. But if you're not, you don't need anything and you can just come right in. Okay? I'm not trying to be political. That's just the way it is right now. The political part would be that stinks and we're messed up. But you need, we need, we need, uh, you, you know, you got to have that to show who you are. Citizenship is so important. When the lost sinner trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are born again, and listen, they become a citizen of heaven. When you're saved, your citizenship moves. Now, you can say you have a dual citizenship, but I don't really care how you want to say it. I'm a citizen of heaven. I love America, but that, America ain't going to mean nothing in eternity. Understand that. We got folks in our country who think America is going to be, I mean, they're going to change the name. United States of America, heaven. And it's what it's, I mean, it's just, it becomes an idol. We have to be careful, folks. I love America, but man, my citizenship is in heaven. That's where I'm a citizen of. And so when we're born again, we become a citizen in heaven, and our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen? I want my name written there, folks. And, and, this, and this is what determines you know, your final entrance into heaven or not. Now, so, so I mean, you, I think you understand this, but I want to illustrate a little bit. So years ago, uh, man, it's been 10, 12, 13 years ago now, but when we were in Indianapolis, we had a friend up there who arranged for myself and our, our daughter Jordan and our son Jesse to go to an Indianapolis Pacers game. But it wasn't just a regular ticket, man. This was one of those box seats tickets. I mean, you're like real right down next to the court. And you just, you just go around the corner in there and you go back to one of these back rooms and they got everything you could want to eat. And, 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 and they had beverages. And I just, I don't 
drank the beverages, understand? Okay, but they, they have everything. I mean, they just, they just wine and dine you and cater to you and all that. It was just, it was incredible. And so said, so we've got this for you. And she told us to be at a certain gate at a certain time and be prepared to show evidence of who we were. So I walk up to the gate and the guard asked my name and I told him who it was. And I showed him my ID and he said, uh, he said, yes, sir, Mr. Westbrook and Jordan and Jesse, you may enter. Now understand this. We got into the Pacer game because our names were written down on the proper list, and our names got on that list through the intercession of another. I couldn't get my name on that list. I couldn't get in there to the box seats. I didn't have the money to do that. I, I, I could, there, was, I, I was, there was no way. That was something totally, that I could not do that on my own. But someone put my name on that list. So it is with our entrance into heaven. Because we've trusted Christ, our names are written down, and we'll enter uh, heaven on Christ's merits, on Christ's righteousness, and on His intercession alone. That's what we enter heaven on. Luke ten twenty says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Listen to this part. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, the Greek word there, written, is in the perfect tense. And it means this. It is, it is a once for all written and stands written. It's once and for all done. It's done. So those who say you can lose your salvation, you cannot lose your salvation. You Baptist, you're once saved, always saved. Yep, absolutely. Once saved, always saved. But I go back to this. You have to be once saved. Don't count on the always saved if you haven't truly been born again. Because if you're going to get into heaven, you have to be born again, okay? And I say praise the Lord that my name is written down in that book. Amen. Is your name written down in the Lamb's book of life? If this morning, if your name's not written down in the Lamb's book of life, and you're going, preacher, I don't even know what you're talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then maybe we ought to talk at the end of the service. Maybe we ought to talk when this service is over, because I'd love to talk with you. Because here's the deal. It can be written in the Lamb's book of life this very day. Your name can be there, and it can be there forever. Because once you put your faith in Christ, you've trusted Him as your Savior. It is sealed. It is done. You're, you're going to be with the Lord one day. The verse says there, so we, we, for our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, it is in heaven. Now, heaven. What a homeland. Amen? So we talk about, we talk about when, I go to, when I go to Tajikistan or I've gone to Costa Rica or whatever, and man, in Europe, people want to know. They, listen, you, we think we're, we're all slick and we go to travel around. People won't know who we are. You know what? In, in, in Europe, we stand out like a sore thumb. We go to Europe and they don't have any trouble identifying the Americans because usually... Uh, the way we dress is certainly doesn't match with the way they dress. But when we open our mouths, and it's not even the English we speak, it's that Americans are usually about four times louder than everybody else around them. Uh, and if you've traveled internationally, Todd, where's Todd? You shaking your head over there? Are you? you it, it, and we just we don't know how to hide. And so, but but when I go in other places and people want to know where I'm from, I love telling them where I'm from. I love telling them I'm from America. I, I love I, I'm you know I, I'm I'm glad I'm an American. I thank God I'm an American. I'm glad I was born here and, and not in Russia. You know, I'm thankful. Um, we've got a great homeland here, but we've got a better homeland in heaven. What a homeland. In our homeland, the streets are paved with gold. Man, we, we pave our streets. We pave our streets here with just tar. The street, and I don't know if it's streets or streets. Scripture says the street of gold, that there's a street of gold. 
Uh, we always talk about the streets of gold. I don't know. There must be multiple streets, but there's the main thoroughfare. It is gold, okay? So in heaven, God paves the streets. The thing that we walk on is paved with gold. The thing we think is so valuable, the thing we think is so valuable, he paves the road with it. The walls are jasper and the gates are made of pearl. There's a rainbow-circled throne, a crystal stream, foundations made from gems, many mansions, and the tree of life are there. Sickness, death, and pain are banished from our streets. And no hospitals, prisons, asylums, or nursing homes can be found anywhere. Our homeland has endless days, eternally bathed in the glory of God Almighty. There's no sun shining. They don't need a sun. The glory of God lights it 24-7. There's no crying in heaven. You, you remember, no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Isn't there? There's no crying in heaven. There'll be no tears shed. There'll be no tears shed in heaven. Just praise upon praise, expressing joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. That'll be heaven. Right now, folks, right now, now we're going to be there one day. That's why we got to think about future tense, because we're going to be there. If you're born again, if you've, if you've confessed your sin to Jesus and invited him into your life, and, and, and ask Him to be your Savior. If you've done that, and you did that by faith, then you're saved, and you're going to heaven, and you're going to be there one day. And so we focus on this living, this future tense. But right now, we're not there. So right now, we're strangers traveling in a foreign land. Amen? That's what we are. Remember that. This is not our home. Why do we get so comfortable here? This isn't our home. John, when you traveled to China uh, a few years ago, I think John brought brought COVID back. He brought Wuhan flu back. <laughs> what was that? It was election. <laughs> election. But John was over there about in the fall, I guess, before that started. But when you were over in China, did you go like, man, I love this place. This is like, this is like home. You wanted to come home, didn't you? You want to be back here. Man, we are just travelers. It's the same way. This living here in America, the life we live here, we ought to be going, you know what? This is not my home. I'm just a stranger, stranger passing through. This world, folks, is not our home. We're here as ambassadors of heaven. We're ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here representing him on this earth. And listen, every night we're one day closer to being home. When you lay down at night, that ought to be something you thank God for. Thank you, Lord, for one more day. One more day closer to being with you. Amen? And we must never forget, even for a moment, where our citizenship lies. You know, we get, we get caught up again in, in, in where we live and what we're doing here. Man, get your eyes off of that. And get your eyes future tense because my citizenship is there. Don't forget that. As we live in the future tense and focus on heaven and on our all-glorious king, it will influence every aspect of our lives here on earth. We wonder why folks' lives don't reflect what they say with their mouth. I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Christ. And their life doesn't shadow that. Because you know what? If they truly are a believer, they're not focused on the king. They're not looking toward the future. They're not eternally minded. They're looking on this earth. They're focused on things here. But as we focus on the Lord, we focus on on heaven and what that's going to be like being there, it will affect every area of our life. It will influence every area of our life. What we say, what we think, where we go, how we behave, what pleasures we indulge, how we invest our time, talents, and our money, how we treat other people, and the amount of time we spend in worship and service and Bible study and prayer, all of that will be influence as we think, as we think about heaven, as we think this future tense of where we're going to be and who we're going to be with. Folks, it's all about the Lord. It, I, I, I mean, listen, no, I'm not even going to, no, never mind. 
I'm not going to jump there. I'll, I'll run, I'm not going to run rabbit this morning. I'll, I might come back to it, but I'm not going to run it right now. <laughs> so the question is this. How much time do you spend each day looking, looking heavenward? Focusing on the future. That's where our focus ought to be. Because if we focus on that, you know, you, you, think about, you think about someone who's, just try to give an illustration real quick. Think about someone who's wanting to be a doctor. If they focus on today while they're in medical school and that's their whole focus, they ain't going to make it to be a doctor. You know what I mean? They're going to they're quit because it's going to be a tough road. They got to focus on down here. I've shared with my son. I shared with Jesse. We talked about this. I asked him not too long ago. I said, do you understand what delayed gratification is? He said, maybe. That's what he said, maybe. So delayed gratification is, is, is you give up something maybe you want now for what you're going to have later. You know, this is really kind of this idea of heaven. When we think about heaven, you know what? We, we, can, we can put off a lot of things that aren't so important that we think are so important. We can put off a lot of things that aren't so important here. And we get our focus on the right things. And we go, man, I want to live the right things here. I may, in, in my flesh, I may go, I feel like I'm giving up something, but you're not really giving up something. And you, you are delaying that gratification because I want to be right with God. You ever thought about what it's going to be like when the Lord comes back? Where, how, how are you living? I think I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but how are you living? How are you living? You know, as a kid, you ever get caught you're stealing cookies or, or, you know, you weren't supposed to be getting ice cream out? My, pa- my pastor, I'll share this, I'll share this. My pastor in Indiana, was, he was diabetic, and he wasn't, you know, obviously wasn't supposed to have a whole lot of sweets. But every year at Christmas, the same lady that gave us the tickets to the Indianapolis game, she and her husband, um, she would make candies at Christmas. So she would make these homemade chocolate-covered cherries. My pastor up there loved those things, but he wasn't supposed to eat them. And so the story goes, one night, one night he, uh, she heard something. So she goes out to the kitchen and he's in the refrigerator, you know, the door open. He's in the refrigerator like this. And she says, Randy, what are you doing? And he turns around. He's got a mouthful of chocolate-covered cherries. They're running, you know, that kind of thing. Do you want to get caught? When the Lord comes back, it, it, it's like that. You ever, you ever uh, man, this morning, Gina, Gina scared me. We're coming down Enterprise. And Gina says, there's a cop. I'm like hitting the brakes. <laughs> And I'm looking, I'm doing 46 in a 45. I'm like. <laughs> my little helper. My little helper. Mark, so are you, are you ready? Because, you know, that time where you, you were speeding and the blue light comes on behind you, it's like, man, that shock, that instant regret. Oh, man, I knew I should have slowed down. Oh, it's that when the Lord comes back. I mean, if you're living right, it's going to be glorious. But there'll be regret if we're not. You want to, you want to be living right. Focus on, focus on the Lord. From which, from, which we are eagerly, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, folks, he's coming back. He's coming back. I just mentioned that. Man, I believe it's soon. I know they've always said that. Yeah, we, we, we go, well, we, they've always said that. That's not because God is unfaithful. Well, he said he was coming back. He's not coming back. No, God comes back. Christ will come back on his time. But, but when Christ ascended, they all believed in their lifetime that the Lord would return. They were looking for it. And yet we're, it's easy to look back now and see with the scriptures we have. We understand they, they, it wasn't going to be then because there was things that had to be fulfilled. Folks, there's nothing that needs to be fulfilled. The Lord's coming back. 
He's coming back. He's coming back. In fact, he's coming back twice. He's going to come back first time. He's going to receive us in the air. He's going to receive his church. Those who are born again are going to be called up into the air with him. Folks that don't know the Lord, they're going to be freaking out. Is it some virus? Have aliens come, abducted everybody? They're going to be saying it was spontaneous combustion because, you know, what happens is those religious nuts, they had a chemical imbalance in their brain, and some wave from the sun set them off, and they all instantaneously combusted and disappeared. I'm telling you, 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 you almost want to be a fly on the wall to hear what they're, how they're going to explain the rapture. But the fact is they're going to know because they've heard. Not, they're going to know. People are going to know, and they're going to know that the Christians, they're going to look around. It ain't going to be hard to look around and go, man, it's all the Christians are gone. You know, they said that Jesus was coming back. Folks, he's coming back. And he's going to receive us into the air at the rapture. But then he's going to come back again, and he's going to deal with this world, and he's going to set the wrongs right. He's going to make it all right in that second coming. So the Lord's coming back. But look at the verse again. From which we also eagerly wait. I'm going to look at that word for a minute. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. The word wait there means to eagerly wait for, uh, to expect fully. So I was thinking last night, how can I express that? And I've expressed it before, like with kids, you know, kids are waiting on grandma or somebody to show up. And I thought, no, I got a better example than that. Got a better example than that. Waiting, waiting, to eagerly wait for, to expect fully. Our dog, our little Yorkie lives that. Now, I'll tell you, I can tell you if we, we have rings, so I could go on right now, I could put it on the screen, I can tell you almost 99% certain, I can tell you where he is right now. He's laying on the back of the couch, looking out the window, looking for us to return. That's where he is. When she's gone, when he, she's gone, that's where he's at. Je, Jesse, she, even, she he even does that when you're there and she's gone, doesn't he? He just sits up there. Didn't eat for a week, that dog. Because he just gets sick because she ain't there. We ought to have that same mentality about the Lord. We ought to be looking, eagerly waiting for him to return. And if he doesn't, that's okay. Because I'm going to see him. He's either going to rapture me out of here or I'm going to die and I'm going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Amen? One way or the other. But I want to be raptured. Anybody else want to be raptured? I want to be raptured. I mean, the dying part, I ain't scared to death, but I'd rather not. Uh, you know, I'd, ra- I'd rather be raptured out. But, I mean, you think about it, Trish, I know you thought about it. I wanna, I get, I've never been able to fly. Anybody in here? I want to fly. I want the Lord to call us up and hear the trumpet, and I want right through the right through the ceiling, all that. I want to do that. Man, I want to do that. But we ought to be looking for his return because he's coming. And if we think he's coming, we really believe that, it'll, it'll influence the way we live as well. So are you eagerly, expectantly looking for him? Now, there's a line in our song, and somebody already mentioned it, Maranatha. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Maranatha, it may be soon. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Maybe morning, night, or noon. Are you ready now to meet him? Are you what he'd have you be? Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Are you ready his face to see? Yes! I hope the answer is yes. Because the, the, one of the lines in that is, Are you ready now to meet him? Are you what he'd have you be? 
He has a plan for your life. He want, he has, he, his, whole, his whole working in our lives, folks, is to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we being resistant to that? Are we allowing Him? Are we submitted to Him and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us and to control us and to grow us? That's where we ought to be thinking today. Are we what He'd have us be? John 14, verse 2 and 3, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, I said this already, but the first century Christians, they, they believed, they were anticipating the Lord's return. But we've never before have there been so many signs to signal His soon return. I mean, just a, just a, a few here. The rebirth of the state of Israel, the rise of Russia, the European Union, perhaps the rebirth of the Roman Empire there with the European Union, discovery of nuclear power, spread of atheism and humanism, exponential growth in perversion and permissiveness and acceptance and promotion. It's not just acceptance anymore, it's the promotion of every sexual sin. I mean, it's, it's this world out there that, that they might even say they don't agree with it, but they are all in support of it. They're promoting it. Widespread use and abuse of drugs, legal and illegal. There's a word in, in, uh, there's a word in, in Revelation that talks about part of the, the judgment is on the, because of their pharmacia. I think it's translated in some of the... Witchcraft. Witchcraft. That's the word I couldn't remember. I thought it was something like that. But So witchcraft, but it's the word pharmakia. Well, we get the word pharmacy from that. It has to do with drugs. Folks, be careful. Be careful. I'm just giving you an exhortation here as your pastor. Be careful. Today, people get hooked on the, on, well, the doctor gave it to me. Well, you be careful what you're taking from your doctor. I, I'm, I'm not so sure all this struggle that I'm having didn't come from the antibiotics I took. I've actually had talked to several people now who have said, I've had the same thing from antibiotics, and it can react with your body. And so I'm two months into this, still struggling with balance and stuff, and it very well could have been brought on by pharmacia. By the, and so you look at what's going on today. I'm not going to get into the politics of 2020 and the, the little virus out there that went around, um, but the, the, there was a little money signs attached to that. If you looked at it under a microscope and the way it's shaped, there's little dollar signs <laughs> attached to some of those things. Um, the growing fascination of millions uh, with the occult, spread of false religion. I mean, you look at, the, at, at Islam and the growth of Islam recently and the spread of that. The apostasy in the church, widespread famines, uh, emergence, uh, emergence of deadly diseases, resistance to all known drugs, seeming increase in earthquakes and tsunamis. And I say seeming, but I, I can show you the statistics on tsunamis. If you trace that back, the, the, it's exponential, the growth. In the 2000s, there's been more tsunamis than like the last 200 years combined. And so that's all because of increased uh, earthquakes and stuff. Uh, worldwide terrorism, growing religious persecution, and then, of course, explosion of knowledge. Never, never in, in no one's lifetime has there been the kind of explosion of knowledge that we've had in our lifetimes. If you think back, um, I, was, I was actually in a cemetery recently, and somebody pointed out and said, this person lived almost 100 years. Think about what all they've seen. I was talking, I think it was uh, Jeremy. And we're talking about what all they've seen in their lifetime. Think about all the changes. Folks, it's incredible. You know, I've shared this. That cell phone, that cell phone, there's more technology in this 
than, than there was on, on the flights that sent man on the moon. There's more on this right here. We've got our weather. We got GPS. We got our email. We got we got. Uh, um, um, I, got, I can text you. I can call you. I can go on the internet and track anything I want on there. I mean, it's, it's, I can do my banking on here. I mean, it's just incredible what you can do right here in the palm of your hand. This may be the greatest technological advancement in our lifetime right here. And it absolutely may be the, the worst thing for us spiritually because we're doing this. Explosion of knowledge. And we hear this. Well, that's a fact, Jack. I don't know what oatmeal is, but he knows that's a fact. But here's the problem. They don't know what fact is. Uh, they may know fact, but it's just not truth. They got this idea of facts, but facts don't necessarily have to be truth these days. Truth is what God says is truth, and all truth is God's truth. Seeing all these signs, we, like those first century Christians, and we should be living in eager expectation of, of his coming um, and, and, and eager believing it's going to be in our lifetime. Amen? All right, fourth point. Fourth point here is this. If we're going, to, we're going to live in the future tense, then we need to ponder our future body. I like this part. The older I get, the more I like this part. Dave, the older we get, we're, we like this part right here, right? Amen? Amen. Verse 21, who, speaking of the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Listen, from the moment of Jesus' resurrection, he had a glorified body. From that moment on, he's had a glorified body. He could appear and disappear. He could come and go unrestricted by time, space, or matter. He could walk through a stone wall, or he could, and then he could sit down and eat a meal just like anybody else. His glorified body still bore the scars of Calvary. He still had the marks in his hand on his side. He still, you could see where he was beaten with the cat of nine tails. You could see the, 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 the marks in his head from the crown of thorns. All the marks that were done to his body are still there. They're still there, but he has a glorified body, but now that body is equipped for eternity. He, he, before he had, a, he had an earth suit, now he's got an eternity suit. His body, and he's still in that human body, folks, understand that. He didn't, he didn't become some mystery uh, uh, spirit floating around. The Lord Jesus is still in that human body, and he will be for all of eternity. Church, one day we'll have a body like his, amen? It'd be a glorified body. Right now, we have our lowly body, or as, as one translation puts it, our vile body. If you look at that word, actually, vile is one of the, the meanings of that word, our lowly body, our vile body. This body can't be separated from the burden of our sin nature, our frequent infirmities, and ultimately our return to dust. Because if, if the Lord tarries, if we're not raptured out of here, you know what? We're going to return this body. We're returned to dust. But he's going to raise it back up, and he's going to, he's going to glorify that body. He's going to, we're going to get that glorified body. But this lowly body is going, listen, it's going to be changed. It's not going to be thrown away. You know, and that, when that time comes, our body may be buried, but it's not thrown away. It's not going to be thrown away. It, it's going to be changed. It, it'll be transformed, and it'll be conformed. Jesus didn't abandon his body and leave it in the tomb. He reunited his soul and spirit with his body, miraculously preserved from corruption, and transfigured it. Our body is to be conformed to his glorious body. And I just say hallelujah to that. We're going to have a body like that. And this change will take place in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Because here's the deal. If we're alive and the rapture comes, then, then we're going to fly up. But we're not going to fly up as fast as those who have gone before us because they're going to go up before us. I don't know how they're going to do that. We've got a head start on them, don't we? 
We're, 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 we're higher. But no, it, it says they're going to... They're gonna, and people say, well, that's impossible. How can that be? What about, what, about, what about 9-11? What about all those people who died and they didn't even find bodies? What about those people? Well, according to the working by which he is able, he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Well, unbelief says this. Unbelief looks at death and says, what could be more final? Death is the end of physical life. That's, that's what happens. Michael, I'm going, to share, I'm going to share a little bit of your story again, if that's okay with you. So, Michael, you remember sitting on the porch at Cracker Barrel? Me and him went and we had dinner at Cracker Barrel or lunch or something. We sat there and we talked, we talked through the gospel. And we got all the way to the end and we talked about, about the Lord rising from the dead. And Michael was with me up until that point. You remember, what you, you remember this? Michael said, I don't know how you can believe a man rose from the dead. So he told me. He was honest. I'm thankful for his honesty. That's where he was. It was just months later. Michael says, you know what? I believe. I believe. He came. He heard the word of God. He sat under the teaching and preaching of the word of God. The Holy Spirit of God worked in his heart, worked through the word of God. And, and, and Michael was convicted and he put his faith in Jesus and he believed. He believed that God raised him from the dead. And, but that's what the world says. How, can, how could God raise somebody from the dead? You know, we, we saw a video a couple of weeks ago when Mark Valentine was here. And the video of those, those college kids talking about, you know, well, what happens? You know, well, I don't know. I, I think maybe, you know, when we die, we just kind of float around. Or we become part of the universe. Or maybe we just, we just hang out here and some, you know, we can see we can't interact. But that's kind of the thinking. But you, but you, what, you know what is revealing about that? None of them, well, only the one guy said, well, I believe when you die, it's it. You're just done. That's all. The others, all, they, they sense there's something else. They sense that. And I think, I, I believe this. I don't believe, I don't believe in atheists. Atheists don't believe in God. I don't believe God believes in atheists. But I, I don't think a real atheist exists. They may deny it, but the, it, within their heart is, is that need for a Savior. They know that something's not right. They may deny it. But faith, here's what, that's unbelief. But here's what faith does. Faith looks at Jesus and says, Lord, I believe. But help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Any of you ever feel that way? Lord, I believe. I do, I believe. But help my unbelief. Help my struggle with this right now. Help me with this. Paul looked at the living Christ and said, He is able even to subdue all things to himself. He is able. Folks, that's faith's answer to unbelief. That's the answer to unbelief. He is able. Well, I don't know how it would be done. We don't have to know how it would be done. He is able. And God can do it. Acts 26, 8, Paul testified to the truth of the gospel to King Agrippa, and he threw down this challenge. He said, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Now, now hear this. The fact that we live again, the fact that we'll live again in this body, the body you have now, you will be in that body. You die, if the Lord tarries a hundred years, when he comes, you will be in that body. The fact that we live again is no more incredible than the fact that we live at all. Okay? I want you to think about a few things. Think about the complexity of the human body or even a single cell. One molecule of hemoglobin. It was interesting as, as Pastor Aaron was praying because he was talking about, I thought, we haven't even compared notes. He was talking about the, the, the amazing how God has put us together. The mole, one molecule of hemoglobin, you know, it's, uh, the hemoglobin is in our blood, right? And it's important. It is, without hemoglobin, you, you, you're, you're not going to live. You understand that? 
So one, mole one molecule of hemoglobin, the protein in blood that carries oxygen to every part of the body, listen what it contains. It contains 4,464 atoms of hydrogen, 3,248 atoms of nitrogen, 2,952 atoms of carbon, 812 atoms of oxygen, 8 atoms of sulfur, and 4 atoms of iron in every single cell of hemoglobin, one molecule of hemoglobin. So all 11,488 atoms must be joined to each other in an exact order and just the right way just to make one molecule of, that is absolutely essential to life. The fact that we live at all is a miracle. And the more science unravels the mysteries of the human body, the more awesome, awesomely complex we understand it to be. Another example, there's an O right here on type, just the letter O on my page. If you, there are things that you, when you look under a microscope, there are cells so small that the letter O right here on my page would contain up to 40,000 of those cells. And a little O, a 14-font O, tells you where my eyes are. Okay, a 14-font here. Yet each individual cell is a world in itself with a specialized function and an intricate timetable that tells the cell when to grow, when to divide, then to make hormone, when to make hormones, and when to die. In the human body, some, listen, 330 billion cells, 330 billion cells die and are replaced every day. The human brain contains 170 billion cells. That does fluctuate, you understand. For some of us, it's, I told Gina when I was writing this, I said, Gina, you ain't going to believe this. This says that, that the male brain has 170 billion cells. It said the female brain has 45 billion cells. I said, what does that tell you? It tells you I'm lying. 170 billion cells. The skin has about 19 million cells per square inch. And there are some, listen to this, 35 trillion red blood cells going through your body at any time. 35 trillion blood cells, red blood cells. All cells now, they reproduce by dividing, and when a cell divides, each new cell receives a complete copy of the blueprint, that code of life, and that code determines whether the cell will be, uh, will be of a possum <laughs> or a gator or a maggot or a man. So it's all determined by the DNA, okay? So the, 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 the nucleus of every single cell is dominated by chromosomes, which carry in their chemistry every characteristic of the living creature being formed. Each chromosome is made up of genes. Each gene is a distinct strand of DNA and contains the code for making one particular type of protein, the basic building block of life. And this code itself uses 20 amino acids in a protein chain. All right, so I ought to show the video this morning. I've shown it here before. I need to show that again. When you look into a cell, a single cell, and we see that cell and we think, I can remember as a kid when we'd stain the, put some water in there, we'd stain it and put it under the microscope and you'd look at it and you'd see a cell and you'd see the cell and then inside you'd see the nucleus. It just looks like a blob. But what you don't understand is inside that, that nucleus, all this information, you could take it out and stretch it out. I mean, it's just unbelievable how far that stretches out, the amount of information. But all that information there. So these, 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 these basic blocks, these amino acids make up proteins. The proteins come together into strands. 
All of that stuff has to be absolutely exact or it doesn't work. The fact that we live at all is an incredible miracle. I got a couple more things, but I'm, I'm not going I'm not going to hit those because at this point you get the picture. Our bodies, I mean, I don't know about if, if you're interested by those things. Some of you being like, man, I hate this stuff. It's boring. I love it. I love it. I love science. I don't love what we call science today. I love real science, which is studying the creation. That's all science is is understanding the creation that God has given us. I want to understand it. I want to know what's out there. I think it's absolutely amazing that in the vastness of the universe that we can see and understand right now, there, there, we don't see any life anywhere. And they go, there must be life out there. It had to come from somewhere else. No, God, this is a special place. Not because we're special, but God took interest in this place. He created this place. He created this earth, and he created man. He put us here, and he put his love and his favor on us. doesn't make us special. It just talks about the glory of God. You talk about the, there, are more, there are more galaxies out there than there are grains of sand. When you think about the creation, you think about the creation of your body. It's just incredible that we live everything that has to go just right for us to have life at all. Folks, for us to have life again, it's no greater miracle than that. We got this idea that how, how could God do it? I'm going to tell you right now. Christians who died in 9-11 and their bodies were never found, God's going to put it back together. Babies that have been aborted and pulled apart in the womb, their bodies are going to be put together. Scripture says in, in, in his book, all my members were written. You ever thought about that? Members. Those bodies are going to be put back together. Someone who dies in fire, someone who's lost at sea, that body, God's going to put it back together. He's going to pull every one of those elements back together. It'd be like one of the mummy movies where it comes together and, and, it's, and it puts it all together. And he's going, to, he's going to put then our spirit and our soul back in that body. And it's going to be a glorified body. And Doug, it's not going to hurt when you bend over. Because you dug for five hours yesterday. You're not going to hurt. You're not going to have that. My hip ain't going to catch because I've been out walking and trying to jog a little bit. And my hip's not going to catch. I'm not going to be dizzy. I'm going to be losing my hair. I'm going to have struggling with my weight or my, my blood sugar. I'm going to have a glorified body. I'm not going to have any of that. Amen? Amen. I'm going to tell you what. That all gets you excited. Paul says focus on that. Look in that future tense. The God who made us once can easily make us again according to the working by which he is able. He is able. Y'all just remember that. He is able even to subdue all things to himself. Live in the future tense. Have the right examples. Be careful who you're looking at and who you're watching, who you're listening to, who you're reading. Be careful. Avoid the wrong influences. Get the right influence. Have the right folks. Understand our citizenship is in heaven. And understand heaven, man. Think about dwell on heaven and what that's going to be like to be in the presence of the Lord all the time. Ponder our future body that doesn't grow tired, doesn't grow old. It's not going to die. It's not going to get sick. None of those things anymore. Man, it's going to be good. Now, this morning, I guess the challenge is, is, is simple. Pastor Aaron, you can come. Jim, 
Um, the invitation is very simple this morning. If you're a believer, you know, maybe this morning something you've heard, you just go, you know what? I'm not, I'm, maybe I'm not living in the future tense the way I need to. Maybe my mindset is not. I don't have that spiritual mind to the extent that I need to have. Maybe my focus isn't on, on, on heaven. Maybe my future focus isn't on the Lord in heaven and what it's going to be like to be there. Maybe my focus hasn't been thinking on these things of the future. I'm too caught up in the right now. You know, that's something we, if, if we're there, that's something we ought, to, we ought to bring before the Lord and confess that. If your focus is in the wrong place, just make an adjustment. So maybe this morning would be a great time to just come and talk to the Lord. Um, and I encourage you, this is an altar here. This is not steps. This is an altar right now. This is a time if the Lord's dealing with you about anything, now's the time to deal with that and deal with him and what he's dealing with you. And don't worry about those that are sitting around you, what they might think. Oh, they're going to think I'm an unspiritual person. Well, we all can be. Amen. Don't worry about that. You may just want to pray for somebody else. You may want to pray for the Pharisee who was just criticizing you for, for being down here praying because they're so spiritual. You may want to pray for them, okay? So maybe you need to deal with the Lord. But maybe this morning you're here and you go, Pastor Conrad, I, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. But I understand that I'm a sinner. And I, I, I've heard this morning that I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. And I need to be born again. I need to be saved from my sin because I want to go to heaven. I want to be with God. I'm broken by my sin and, and, and how I've dishonored God and how I've sinned against him. Maybe today would be the day that you would just want to come and, and, and I'll be glad to walk you through the gospel again and introduce you to Christ this morning. The Bible says these things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know. You don't have to hope or wonder. And I just hope I'll get there. No, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you can know. You have a no-so faith, not a hope-so faith. All right? So if you would stand with me. We're going to have prayer here in a moment. Pastor